The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Thank you for participating this morning together. We talked last week about the huddle. This morning we're going to go on from that, but if you'll turn to Acts chapter 8, and as we go to Acts chapter 8, I want you, uh, we're going to be down in verse... uh, uh, about verse five, I guess to start to start out with, really about verse nine. But I, I want you to uh, to go back to verse four, and uh, we're not going to have that to pull up right off the bat. But uh, we talked last week about gathered and scattered. Uh, if you were here, uh, we talked about the uh, the success of the church is not measured in the way we huddle, but as what we do out in the field. And we talked about there was a church in Jerusalem, and that's where the church was. There was great persecution upon the church that Saul was, was pouring out upon the church, and the church scattered. They were gathered in Jerusalem. They scattered. And we're going to talk about Philip today. And Philip, in verse 4, says he was one of those who had been scattered. Okay, it says those who had been scattered, in verse 4, preached the word wherever they went. And that's what Philip has done. The, the real hero of Acts chapter 8 is Philip. Now, uh, last week I talked a little bit about the huddle and about uh, different players. And I, I was thinking this morning about a, a time that I was coaching uh, peewee football. And uh, there at one of the practices at the very beginning of the year, we had a, a lot of kids come out. And, and uh, this one young man came out and he... Uh, came to the first few practices, he didn't want to play. And sometimes, parents, you don't see that. We see it more when you're actually involved. And so you're griping at the coach about my son's not getting enough playing time when your son don't want to play. Uh, he's there because of you. But this particular case, um, we we see the, 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 the guy show up at practice, and then we'd get started in practice. There's a bunch of kids, and, and we'd say, hey, where's so-and-so? And he'd be gone. And uh, we would go on through practice, and then at the very end, we'd all huddle up, and he'd be back. And uh, so we was like, where have you been? Oh, I've been here. <laughs> okay, well, that went on for a few weeks, and uh, we finally started taking note. Well, when practice would start, and we'd start dividing up into different groups, he would leave and go hide in a house, <laughs> a vacant house, and uh and then when practice was over, he'd come huddle up again. And so we talked to him, and he said, I don't want to play. You know, I don't want to play. So uh, his mom came finally and said, uh, you know, said, he really don't want to play. Well, that's fine, you know. He shouldn't play if he don't want to play. She said, well, he don't want to play, but he wants to keep the uniform. <laughs> and uh, we said, okay. And she said, uh, can he just keep the uniform, the, the pants, the pads, the shirt, the helmet? Uh, he wants to keep all that, and, uh, you know, he wants to wear it around. And he wants to look like the player, but, but he don't want to play. He don't want to be in the game. And, uh, of course, we, was buy, we had to buy the stuff. The league was buying the stuff. So we said, well, really, you know, it's not just to give away. And she said, well, you know, I'll buy it if I have to, and, uh, just so he can have it. He just wants to be able to wear it around. So I don't remember how we worked that out, but we're going to look at a guy today that kind of like that guy, kind of like that young man. He, he, wanted to, he wanted to look like he was in the game. 
He wanted to wear the uniform. He wanted to have the pads on and the helmet, and he, he wanted to be involved in all of those things, but he really didn't want to go out in the field where the work takes place, to put in the time, to put in the practice. He simply wanted to, to look like one of those players. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at two conversion stories. In other words, we're going to look at one conversion and, and the story of Simon. And then we're going to look at another conversion story with, is the, the Ethiopian. And we're going to see the contrast between the two. But as I said, Philip is, is there. He's one of the seven we talked a little bit about last week. There was, there was some chosen to oversee the, the, the distribution of things in the church to take care of the widows. And, and Philip was one of those. And uh, he was the first person. Matter of fact, he was the only person in the New Testament to be called an evangelist. That's Acts 21.8. And, and it's interesting to consider that he was a layman. In other words, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a pastor, he was a layman in the church. But when Philip went out, and according to verse 4, when he was scattered, when he went out, he, he went out with a message. He went out preaching the gospel. It says in verse 5, Philip went to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And in, in verse 12, this is Acts chapter 8, he says, Philip preached the good news about the kingdom of God and about the name of Jesus Christ. So Philip was a man with a message, and, and that's why things are happening. And as things begin to happen there in Samaria, we, we closed with this scripture last week, there was great joy in all of the city. That's verse 8. So Simon, I mean, Philip here, he's, he's a layman in the church. He was taking care of the, the, the widows and things in the church. But as he would leave the church, he had a message. He said, I'm, I'm going to go out in the world. And, and everywhere he went, he had, a, he had a message. So out of Philip's ministry in Samaria, we're given these two examples, these two uh, examples of, of religious decisions or conversions that are made. One is false and one is true. And sometimes telling the difference uh, between a professing Christian and a genuine believer is very difficult. And this morning, I just want us to look at the Scripture, and I believe God put it here that we can use it, that we can examine it. So the, the first is the story of Simon the sorcerer. So Simon the sorcerer, and this is Acts chapter 8. We're going to drop down to verse 9. Uh, we're going to look at the person that Simon was. So it says there in verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon who had previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria. Now, where is Philip? He's in Samaria. He's preaching in Samaria. He's proclaiming God's word. But this man, Simon, who, who is there in Samaria, he, he, had, he had, there's a word that starts with but, he had, he had been practicing and astonishing people in Samaria, claiming that he was a great one. In verse 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Now notice the contrast that's drawn here in this passage. Right off the bat, uh, the word but. Now you, your, transma- your translation may say now. Uh, it may have some other type of word. But whether it says but or now, whatever, it's it's. It's a, it's a contrast between what we've been looking at. So before that, we see that, that the word's being preached. There's a great revival going on. There's people being saved. There's cities that's filled with great joy. But 
Something's happened here. There's a contrast here. There's a mark of, of authentic salvation that we see. And, and we see a, a contrast to that in, in, a, a, in a counterfeit salvation. So right in verse 9, that's where we begin to see the contrast. We, we see up to verse 9, there's great things happen. The city has great joy. But there was a man named Simon. He's a sorcerer, and, and the word, some, some of your, uh, your Bibles may translate the word magic, but it's really the, the, the word used there is a word that implies an occult activity. In other words, it implies some kind of involvement with demonic powers. So it's more than, it's not a sleight of hand. It's not a card trick. That David Blaine, y'all ever watch him? He's, a, he's this magician on TV, and he's the one that, that levitates himself, supposedly. If y'all have ever seen it, it's amazing to me. You know, he, uh, he'll take a, he'll take a card and, and, uh, he'll have a, he'll say, what's your, what's your uh, initial of your first name? And, and they'll choose a card and he'll write it on there and then he'll go through and, and he'll throw the cards up against the building and that card will be stuck on the inside of the window. You know, I, I don't know how he does that. It's amazing to me. But it's just a card trick. It's just a, a sleight of hand. It's, uh, it, it's just, I, I was, when I was a youth minister, we, I read something about uh, having people choose a number between one and five in the youth. And, uh, and it said, this works most of the time. Most people choose three. And, and uh, so you could get a couple of, of youth there, and you could say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read your mind to a number between one and five. You chose three. How'd you do that? Well, they just somehow, somebody's taking time to go and say most, the majority of people, I don't remember if it was one in five, will choose that number. You know, so it was just a, a sleight of hand. That's not what Simon had. He had a, he had some kind of occult activity with some kind of demonic powers. And, and because of that, Simon built himself as the great one. He, he, he went around, that Latin word is, is magus, and he, he went around, sometimes you'll see him called Simus Magus, and that, that means the, the, the Simon the Great or Simon the Magnificent. So that's how he built himself, and, and the people there in Samaria, they were amazed by this. See, before Philip came, they were looking for something, and, and Simon the Great or Simon the Magnific- Magnificent, can't you see him building himself that way? He would come and he would perform these miracles, and, and these folks were restless. They were, they were living in unsettled times. They were searching for answers. They were searching for hope, and they were searching for comfort. And remember, there's, tum- there's turmoil going on during these times. So these people are looking for something, but, but as is today, they're looking in the wrong places. So they look towards Simon the Great or Simon the Magnificent and, and they're looking for answers and they're getting answers, but they're false answers and there's false hope and they really needed Christ. So, so Simon, he found himself, when Philip came, he found himself challenged by what Philip started to tell people. In other words, Philip started to, uh, to, to preach the gospel, and those people there in Samaria, they begin to follow, listen, listen, to, listen to Philip. They begin to follow him and, and say, you know what? The, the, he's got what we've been looking for. And when we read this and study it, we realize that as they listened to Philip's message, they believed in Christ, and they were born-again Christians, and, and they were baptized. And when Simon saw this, he saw what's happening, it occurred at, at, at what Philip was doing, 
It was amazing Simon. He said, you know what? Uh, I, I recognize that, that, si- that, that, that Philip has something that I don't have. And, and because he has something I don't, I don't have, uh, I've been pretending all this time to, to be something I'm not. But, but I see it in Philip. So, so he's been tricking people. And deep down, Simon knew that's all he was doing. He was, he was tricking people. He was, he was having them believe some things that weren't really true, simply that he might have power. The Bible says when he would speak, people would listen. You notice it said that in a couple of different places. They, 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 they listened to him. They gave credit to what he had to say. So he's looking, and, and he sees that, that Philip's not drawing attention to himself. See, that's what Simon was doing. He was performing all these things so people would pay attention to him. Philip was drawing attention to Christ. He was pointing people towards Christ, and, and Simon recognized that, and he wanted to, to see what was going on there, so he, he starts getting closer uh, to, to, to Philip. And he, he says, I want to I understand, and, and uh, I've had these tricks, but you have some authentic miracles. And, and Philip had demonstrated some of those things through the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and Simon said, I want some of that. So, so they, even though folks had rejected the gospel and he had rejected the gospel and he had had this cult following, he recognized that there was something that he could believe in. So let's look at the second part of this, this profession that Simon made. He, he came, and this is verse 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip as he's preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And look at verse 13. The Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs that were done. Here's the puzzling part of that. When we read this story in verse 13, it says Simon himself also believed and was baptized. Now, no doubt when Philip baptized Simon, he believed Simon was sincere. There's no doubt. Now, if you're getting ahead of me and you say, well, uh, you don't know if he is true salvation or not. You don't know if he was really born again or not. Well, stay with me because, you know, it's possible to fool the preacher, isn't it? it it's possible to fool the church. And that's what Philip was. He, he simply was proclaiming the gospel and, and Simon fooled him. And Simon fooled those other followers, and, and we find that here in Scripture. We're going to get to that in just a minute, but over in Matthew chapter 13, 38 through, 40, or 30, 38 through 43, Christ says this, that the church field, in other words, the church and, and the field of the church, uh, will have some things that come up in the wheat called tares. Well, wheat and tares, we've, we've heard this and we've talked about this, you know, tares... They look like wheat, but they're empty-headed. I mean, they're, they're, they, they have the same top as a wheat. If you've seen wheat before, and I heard somebody say, you know, when, wheat, uh, when wheat's head are filled with grain, they bow down, but the tares still stand tall. In other words, they, they look like wheat, and Christ says, we need to understand, Christ says, you need to understand, in the church, there's going to be some tares among the wheat, 
And, and he talks about that over in, in Matthew, and, and it says, but on the day of judgment, Jesus will separate those things. And we've talked about how that takes place. It all comes together, and the, the, the wheat is thrown up in the air in a, in a place where the wind blows, and the tares blow out, and the wheat falls back to the ground. And, and that's the story that Jesus is telling there on the day of judgment. So, so it's possible to fool the church. It's possible to fool the pastor. And that's what Simon had done. Was Simon actually a believer? Was was he truly saved? Was what was his baptism? Was that a true baptism? And and I would see, uh, I would say that Simon was was exposed to some strong preaching. You know, Philip was preaching the gospel. Simon Simon was hearing the word of God. He uh, he was seeing the miracles that was going on. So so Simon was exposed to those miracles. But what we don't see here is that he truly didn't have a change of heart. His heart wasn't changed. It wasn't characterized by a repentant heart. What happened was Simon didn't want to accept Jesus. He wanted to use Jesus. See, Simon says, I've got this pretty good deal going here. And, and, and I, don't, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna accept it. I, I just wanna use it. He saw Christianity as something that, that he could use, that he could take the power of the Holy Spirit and he could use that and, and something maybe even that he could buy. Now, you say, well, how do you know all that stuff? Well, look at verse 14 through 17. He was not have a he didn't have a real commitment to follow Jesus. He, he had a false commitment to try to tap into the power that Jesus made available. So verse 14, and and this is Acts 8 still. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the Holy Spirit's not yet fallen upon them, okay? There's not a separate baptism now. I said this last week. When we're born again, we receive all of the Holy Spirit. This is during that time when the Holy Spirit's not falling upon the people yet. He hasn't come and, and possessed them. So the, the apostles went. It says they laid hands upon them. Verse 16, for as, yet they had, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, talking about the Holy Spirit, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So while the apostles in Jerusalem didn't initiate this revival in Samaria, they did feel a sense of responsibility for it. So they went down, and, and uh, they, uh, the, the, those who accepted Christ in Samaria, they received the Holy Spirit, and Peter and John was there kind of to investigate, and, and they, the Spirit was given to those people as they laid hands on them. So, so here we have Simon. He made a profession. He, he made a profession with his mouth. He was baptized. He says, hey, I want to be a follower. I see what the Holy Spirit has done for these people, and I want to be a part of that. Now look at verses 18 through 24. This is a proposal that Simon offered. Now over here in verse 12, 13, we already see he accepted Christ and was baptized, but he missed something, didn't he? He missed out on the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, <clears throat> Excuse me, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money will perish with you because you thought it was a purchase, the, you might purchase the gift of God with money. Verse 21, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of of your wickedness and pray, and perhaps 
let me back up. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and you're bound by your sin or you're bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said to Philip, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. When we read this, our translation of Peter's response is milder than it really happened. When we go and study this, what Peter said was forcibly blunt. And to put it, kind of what Peter literally said was, to hell with you and your money. When you study, that's really what Peter said. It says, may your money perish with you uh, and and." You and your spirit, because you tried to purchase the gift of God, he, 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 said, he said, Simon, you're going to go to hell because cause you've tried to gain something through purchase of it, through money. And, and that's why Simon said, well, pray to God that this won't happen to me. Pray, pray to God that what you said won't really happen. And, and that, that, that's what the original said. So it's a serious issue. It was a serious issue, and, and Philip recognized that, and, and he said to Simon, hey, this is what's going to happen. Because you're poisoned by bitterness, and you're bound by your iniquity, or you're bound by your sin, it seems to substantiate that, that Simon was never saved. See, he, he, he says, you're, you're, you're bound up in your sin. When we say we're saved and that we say we're Christians, we must be willing to ask ourselves, am I truly a born-again Christian? Have I, have I really changed who I am? And, and as we read this story, it illustrates how close a person can come to being saved and really not be truly saved. Simon heard the gospel. He, he had a, 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 a profession of faith. He was baptized, but he was never born again. See, it was never a, a change of heart. And, and even though today there's people that, that attempt to turn to, to spirituality because of some kind of commercial, some kind of way to make money, some kind of to gain status, but they're far from God. That's really what Simon had done. He offered Peter money to get the gift of the Spirit. He said, man, if I can, if I can get a hold of this gift, just imagine what I could do. Imagine what I could do for people. Imagine how I could dupe people then. And, and as he looked at the Holy Spirit, he, he saw it more of something that, that he could use to buy power. But folks, we need to understand that, that this Holy Spirit is not an it. And, and the Holy Spirit is, is something we don't say, I want to use it. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a person. It's a part of the Trinity, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit lives within us. It's not an it that we use, that we manipulate, that we say, I'm going to grab this and, and I'm going to put it into my, my bag of tricks and I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to use it occasionally. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit of God comes, He lives within us. When we accept Jesus Christ. So what he really wanted to do is he, he really wanted to have this. And I want you to notice something. It's kind of subtle as we read through here. When he asked, when he asked uh, 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 Philip to pray for him, what, he was more concerned with avoiding consequences of his sin than he was about getting right with God, wasn't he? He didn't say, Peter, he didn't say, Philip, you know, pray that I might accept Christ or pray that God would convict me. He said, he said, Philip, pray that these things won't happen to me. I don't want the, I don't want the consequences of sin. And, and would you just pray for me on that? So, so as we look, we see Simon. 
We see an example of someone who heard the gospel. We see an example of someone who saw the miracles, who, who saw the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives and said, you know what, I want to get closer to that because I can benefit from that, but, but a person without a changed heart. Now let's look at the next, the Ethiopian eunuch. This starts in verse 26. God's been using Philip to lead a great revival. I want you to imagine if you went to any of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the big what do we call them things in Paris? The Crusades over in Paris. We had one here in, in uh, Cooper. Just imagine that the, the guy up there preaching, which there's a different preacher for every night, you know, but just imagine that we're up there and uh, uh, the, the preacher's going along or we're here at East Delta and the preacher's going along and we have a, we have a pack the pew Sunday night and a bring a pie Monday night and a you know, whatever, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, pizza night for the youth. And we have all of these things planned up. And the evangelist is here, and he's preaching. And, man, people are being saved. And we said, oh, this is great. Man, this is guy can really preach. It, it's going good. You need to come hear this guy. And we show up Monday night, and the guy ain't there. We say, where did our evangelist go? Well, he had to get up and go somewhere else. We'd all be hacked off, wouldn't we? Well, we had this set up, and we had these plans made. Well, that's what happened to Philip. Philip is preaching. There's a great revival going in Samaria and, and people are being saved and there's tremendous results when all of a sudden God steps in and he says, hey, Philip, I need you to go somewhere for me because I have someone there that needs to hear about my word, need to hear about who I am. So verse 26 says, Now angel of the Lord spoke with Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. Now I want you to think about, just to think about what's happening with Philip, what would you do? A layman a pastor, a, a, a teacher, an evangelist, you're in the middle of a revival meeting. Things are going great. You have an appointment tomorrow morning. You're going you're gonna to do these things. And all of a sudden, God says, hey, I need you to go down this, along this road to the desert. What would we do? We'd say, wait a minute, God. Have you not noticed what's going on where I'm at right now? I've got three or four more things to do. Hey, I've not, I'm not got things wrapped up where I'm at yet. Uh, a few more days, yeah, I'll, I'll pack up and I'll head down there. Well, that's not what Philip did. It says Philip immediately was obedient to Christ, to, to God, and he, he, Philip's, Philip arrived and he, he left the place where he is and, and he went there and, and let's go on and look. Philip's directed to the Romans there in, in Romans uh, 10, 14 and 15. He understood this scripture that says, how then shall they, how shall they that call upon him who have not, who have they have not believed? Now that I've butchered that up good, let me go back and read it right. Romans ten fourteen. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And shall, how shall they hear without someone going, a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? See, Philip understood this, that the lost world needed someone. And Philip understood that he needs to be obedient to the Lord. And, and wherever the Lord leads him, he wants to be a witness. So Philip just took God's word and says, you know what? There must be a reason God's sending me here. So he, he sends him there, and, and Philip provided to be that witness to the Ethiopian based on the word of God. Let's, let's look at verse 27 and 28. This is a disappointed seeker. You know, we have services today, churches. It's kind of gone by the side a little bit, but they call, have what they call seeker services. 
In other words, people that were seeking something, they can find the answer in Christ. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. They're great for answers. So we have a disappointed seeker in verse 27. So he arose and went, this was Philip, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home, and setting his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now here's a man of great influence, a man of great wealth, a a man of great authority and a lot of power, a, a man of great status and prestige. That's who the Ethiopian was. He was the secretary of the treasure of Ethiopia under Candace. Now, This is interesting, I thought, just a side note. The Ethiopian queens were called Candace, uh, just like Egypt rulers were called Pharaoh. So it doesn't mean that that her name was Candace. That was just her title. So I thought you might find that interesting. I did. So here was a man who's concerned enough about his spiritual life that he traveled 200 miles to Jerusalem. He, he has that concern. He says, there's something about my spiritual life that's empty. So he drove 200 miles to worship God. He drives to Jerusalem there, rides his chariot. But he leaves that worship service, and he's still not satisfied. He's, he still didn't find a field. They, they broke the huddle, and he, he started back to Ethiopia, and he, he was still empty. And I think a lot of people today, they, they read the Bible, they come to church, and they, they leave still empty. They're, they're, not, they're not satisfied with the saving faith of Jesus Christ, and they've, they've missed that. They're sinners, they're seeking something, and, and they're lost, and they need someone to show them the way. Folks, that's what we're to do as Christians. We're to find that person that's, that's lost, that, that needs direction. And, and, and when we find that person, we're to show them the way. After, after our huddle's breaking, after we're out in the field and after we're working, we find someone and we show them the way. So he's had the disturbing reading here. And this is 29 through 35. Then, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and take over his chariot. Can y'all see this? He's, he's going to run. <laughs> And he's going to catch up with his chariot. You say, well, you're kind of exaggerating. No, I'm not. says Philip ran up to him. (laughs) Verse 30. And as he's running along, he's listening, and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading out loud the prophet Isaiah. So here's Philip. He'd had to have been a slow horse if I was going to run beside him and talk to him, and I'd be so out of breath he wouldn't have understood me. But, But Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And verse 31, and he said, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? And he, Philip, and he asked Philip to come in and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say of this? Is he talking about himself, Isaiah, or some other man? And verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. And he began, and beginning with the scripture, 
he preached Jesus Christ to him. Now, remember, he didn't have the New Testament. He didn't say, Ethiopian, take your Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 8, because he's living Acts chapter 8. So he took the Old Testament and he began to preach Jesus Christ. And, and the only way a person can be converted is, is to deliberately and to personally believe in Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian, he, he believed on Jesus Christ and he was born again. He understood what Philip had to say, and he was born again in verse 39 and 40. Now, when they came up out of the well, then he says, uh, let me back up. Uh, I don't guess I even read that whole scripture, did I? Now, I got too excited. As they went to the road, this is the decision that he made. I jumped right past the whole post of scripture, verse 36 through 38. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, Folks, I want to put a little note right here. Baptism does not save you. Look what, look what Philip said. If you believe with all your heart, then be baptized. If you have somebody that says, you know what, you've got to be baptized to be saved, the Bible never says that. The Bible right here says, one, this is just one place, it says, if you believe, believing comes first, then you may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So as he was baptized, that, that real experience that he had, he, he said, you know what, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sin. I believe that he's risen again, and, and I want to be baptized. I want to proclaim that. Now, verse 39 says, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. Isn't that crazy? I mean, all of a sudden, the Ethiopian's riding along in his chariot. He's reading out loud. This man comes running up and starts talking to him. They get in. They, uh, Philip tells him about Jesus Christ. He accepts Christ. They're baptized. They come up out of the water. Boom, he's gone. Boy, that's some wild stuff, isn't it? That's what happened. Uh, they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. But look what he did. He went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found as the told us, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. See, God took him. He placed him where he wanted him. Philip proclaimed the message of God, and then God moved him over here and said, okay, just keep on proclaiming. You've been relocated. You've been put in a different place, but, but keep proclaiming the Word of God, and that's what we see. What's the difference between the conversion of Simon, the magician, and the Ethiopian treasurer? The difference between them is, is the difference between any person. It's, it's not a superficial conversion. One is superficial. One is one who is really born again. Simon believed Philip's miracles were genuine. He believed that. He believed the message that Philip proclaimed was true. He believed that. That's what we're talking about Simon. He believed the miracles were true. He believed what Philip preached was true. He gave mental assessment to God. He, he said, you know, I'm thinking about this and... And I believe there's a God. I believe those things are true. He was like people today who think because they believe in Jesus Christ, oh, I believe in God. 
I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He died for sinners. I believe He rose again. And because they believe those things, they think they're Christians. But you know what the Bible teaches us? The Bible says even demons believe. See, there's a difference between believing and confessing. And, and that's what we see, the, the authenticness here. We see someone who believed and, and wanted to say, hey, I, I want to receive something from this. And we see another one who confessed that Jesus Christ, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He, he confessed what he believed. The, throughout the New Testament, faith includes not only intellectually believing who God is, but it it, it, it says there's much more than that. There's something about a confession of who he is and what he is in us. Here's why we talked about this today. Paul suggests that it's good for us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that we should examine ourselves, that we should test ourselves, seeing that Christ is in us. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. What? Since Jesus came into my heart. See, Paul says we need to do that. And listen to what John says over in 1 John five thirteen. It says, these things I have written to you, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, we see a difference here. We see someone who has a changed heart, and we see someone who just believes in all the things they've heard, but there's never been a change with inside I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want you to give some thought about this this morning because I want you to hear what Romans 10, 9, and 10 has to say. It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, because it's with the heart that we believe and are justified. But it doesn't stop there. It's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. I've heard, I've heard people say it a lot of different ways. Uh, there's a difference between salvation, true salvation and counterfeit Christianity is 18 inches. The difference from a, a distance from our heart to our mind because we can believe, we can believe every word of God's, that God's written to us. We can believe everything about Jesus Christ. But if we never confess with our mouth, it's just believing. See, Simon believed, but he never changed a heart. He never, he never confessed that he needed sin. He said, Philip, pray for me that all these things won't happen. But he didn't say, Philip, pray for me that I might accept Christ, that I might be a believer. The Ethiopian said, I read and I understand, and, and I'm confessing that Jesus Christ is God's Son, here for forgiveness, here for life. Have you ever confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord? Have you ever confessed that, hey, I, I know I'm a sinner. I don't know why God wanted me to preach this message today, but I believe that's what God wanted me to do. 
I think it's good for us to test ourselves, to ask ourselves, do I simply believe or has there become a time in my life that I've confessed that I've fallen short, that I need Jesus Christ's forgiveness? God says when we do those things, we're saved. I always think about that scripture when it says when people stand before God and they say, you know what, we went to church, we... We performed miracles in your name. We did all of these things. We gave to the needy. We gave to Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We, we, we went to schools and provided clothes. We, I did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, turn from me. I never knew you. You know those people are? Those are the people who said, we believed everything we heard. And we lived a good life. But we never confessed that we're sinners. We're hopeless. We're helpless without Christ this morning if you've never accepted Christ you can fool the preacher you can fool the church you can fool mom and dad or husband or wife or brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles but you can't fool God our pride so often keeps us from taking a step of salvation if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior it is so easy that Christ says God says I offered you a free gift If you'll confess me with your mouth, if you'll believe me with all your heart, then you'll be saved. We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I don't want to raise any doubts today. I want to put uh, put the doubts away that today we'd know we have eternal life. In just a moment, we're going to sing. If the Holy Spirit's moving you, if it's drawing you, then I want to ask you to respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Father, Lord, this morning, as we look into your word, as we see great examples of, of a couple of people in Scripture, that one who simply said, I believe and I want the benefits of Christianity, but you know what? I just want to wear the uniform. Hey, I want to, I want to put on the pads and I want to put on the shirt and the pants and the helmet and I want to walk around and I want everybody to say, man, look at that guy. He's on the team. But never put the work in. Never really got in the huddle. Never really learned to perform in the field. But, man, they look good. Everybody looks says that guy's on the team. Father, we know that in our hearts we know the answer. We know where we are. Father, I pray today as your Holy Spirit works within our life, moves within our heart, we would examine ourselves, test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Father, I pray that we would know for sure that we have eternal life. We'd settle it today. And Father, I pray that we'd know only through your Holy Spirit's drawing that we come to that point. I pray that we would do business with you, forget the time, forget the activities of the evening. But Father, right now, your Spirit would move. And we'd respond to you in Jesus' name.